after a series in which we have been talking about revival and what spiritual revival means to us today. I want us to take just one Sunday and look at how spiritual revival can manifest itself. The title of today's message is Contender or Pretender. It's no secret I'm a sports fan. And uh, every year in every sport, there are a few teams that are at the top and there are some teams that are way at the bottom and there's a lot of teams that are kind of in the middle. And you get to about a third of the way, half of the way through the season, and people start to wonder, especially uh, those analysts on television or uh, sports columnists that write about sports, they will start to wonder, okay, which of these teams are going to break out as the season develops? Which of these teams are going to break out and they're going to be contenders? A chance to make a deep run in the playoffs. And which of these teams are going to be pretenders? Those teams that sort of fall off and don't make it. Don't take advantage of their opportunities at the end of the season. And the same is true for us, church. We have to ask ourselves this morning... What are we doing? Because in the book of Jude, verse 3, we are told to be contenders for the faith. And we're going to look this morning at what that looks like to contend for our faith. And then we have to ask ourselves, are we contenders or are we pretenders? At the end of this month, I'll be officiating a wedding. And so I will be standing there before a young couple as they exchange their vows to one another. And as is always the case when I officiate a wedding, there's going to be some scripture involved. And one of those scriptures is 1 Corinthians 13. You've ever been uh, to more than a couple of weddings, you've probably heard portions of 1 Corinthians 13 read at a wedding ceremony. Now, when Paul writes this to the folks in Corinth, it's not specifically in the intention that, hey, this is something that is to be read at wedding ceremonies. It's not with his intention that this is the kind of love that only be between a husband and wife. No, that the the love that Paul tells us that we need to have is love that we need to have for everyone. But the way that chapter ends is a way that many of us are familiar with. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, say it church, yeah, the greatest of these is love. I've seen some modern translations that say, when all is said and done, this is all that's important. Faith, hope, and love, but this one is most important, love. So we're talking today about love, and I appreciate Scotty choosing some songs for us uh, that were about love. When he first brought up the one that starts with angry words, I thought, wait, where's this going? And I had to remember, remind myself what the chorus is. It's love one another, yeah. And so let's look now at... uh, Romans chapter 12 beginning with verse 3. 
Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so what Paul is saying here in all this is, hey y'all, don't be thinking that you're hot stuff. That everybody has gifts. And so don't be thinking that your gift is better than somebody else's gift. That there are people who stand in front of the body. It's my calling to stand here every Sunday. Some are called to stand here at times. There are times that Rick Jones has preached to this body. There are times that Bill Lynch has preached to this body. Scotty Duncan has. Most recently, Chad Brewer has. And so at different times, different people are called to carry out this task. Jesse Eglinton has not that long ago. And so, and so if, when you're asked to prophesy or preach, then you're asked to do it boldly. You're asked to do it with confidence. But maybe your gift involves you serving behind the scenes. Maybe you're one of those people that takes the time to send a, a kind note and drop it in the mail. I've gotten two of those this week. What a blessing that is. To just reach in that mailbox and pull out a card and somebody has taken the time to just say a nice note. A nice note of encouragement. And so what a blessing it is. And I'm not going to call out those people's names. Those people do it quietly behind the scenes. They don't do it for attention. But they do it because they have love in their hearts. And that love is evident. And so maybe you're one of those people that's very good at being aware of who in the congregation isn't feeling well. And so you have the ability to to cook a a pretty good meal. And so you call them up and say, hey, tomorrow night I'm going to be there at 6 o'clock and I've got a meal for you. What a blessing that is. I know what it's like to take those meals. I know what it's like to be the recipient of those meals. And so maybe you're one of those folks that for the last several months, every Sunday morning or every Wednesday night, you've been upstairs with some of our little ones. 
And you've been teaching. Maybe you've been teaching an adult class. And so the point Paul is making here, he's reminding us, church, that we all have different gifts, but that we're called to figure out what those gifts are and to use them for kingdom work, to use them for God's glory. And he's saying, hey, if your gift happens to be one of those that puts you up in front of the church, doesn't make you one bit better than anybody else. Don't ever think that you're that special because everybody has gifts and we're all needed. We all need to put those gifts into service to make this thing called kingdom, to make it work, to make this wonderful thing called church, to make it work. In um, his book, The Early Church, uh, a theologian named Henry Chadwick writes, Many historians believe that central to the rise of Christianity was the simple fact that Christians generously loved each other and their neighbors. They point out that in the ancient world, mercy was widely seen as a character defect that ran counter to justice. Justice demanded that people get what they deserved and was seen as appropriate, where mercy extended grace, love, and kindness to people who had done nothing to deserve it. Yet the Christians valued mercy. Christian communities became places where people tended to live longer and healthier lives for when they suffered sickness, poverty, or mishap. They had brothers and sisters in Christ who provided for their need and Christians extended love way beyond the boundaries of family and congregation even to their pagan neighbors. And of course pagan, that word that just means non-Christian. Those who worship false gods. And we know that that was prevalent in the ancient world. I mean, we can argue that it's prevalent today, just in a different form. And he goes on to write specifically that in 251 AD, for example, a great plague struck the Greco-Roman world. That they had memories of a hundred years earlier when when, uh, more than a third of the population in that area had died. He said, fear was everywhere. Those who could afford it fled to the countryside. Those who could not remained in the cities. And what did the Christians do? He said the Christian communities, however, took an entirely different approach. approach. They didn't flee. They saw it as their responsibility to love the sick and dying. So they took them into their homes and nursed them. This action meant that many people recovered who otherwise would have died. And historians suggest that it's that elementary nursing that could have reduced that, that reduced the mortality rate possibly by as much as two thirds. Think about that, church. People going out of their way to put themselves near the sick, near those who were hurting, and by taking them into their homes, even nursing them back to health. That that two thirds of the people that could have died were spared. And he says, but you know, there came at a price, as we could well imagine, it cost a number of Christians their lives. But when people wonder why did Christianity spread, 
it was because those early Christians went way above and beyond. Those early Christians did what other people wouldn't have thought of doing. They made sacrifices. Why did they do it, church? Because they had love. Nowadays, we have lots of doctors and walk-in clinics and hospitals where that kind of taking people into our homes, that kind of extreme, may not be necessary. But what it does call us to do, church, is to look beyond ourselves, right? What it does call us to do, church, is look beyond ourselves, right? Yeah. Because if all we do is say, I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, and I'm going to sit right here on my John Brown hind parts. I'm going to sit right here. Because I've got, I've got Jesus in my heart. And it's great. You ought to get you some of this. Where does that get us? Looks like a rather selfish form of love, doesn't it, church? No. Love is not simply a concept, is it? Love is about doing. Love is about taking action. Love is about using those gifts that God has given us and doing something with it. Looking on further in Romans 12, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You see what Paul writes there? Don't be lazy. Serve the Lord with enthusiasm. I remember years ago, I got an email, well, I got an email just this week about Winterfest and the dates and, and Dudley Chauncey, the guy that founded Winterfest some years ago, saying, saying hey, you know, it's uh, going to be time to start getting registered, start reserving your housing. And uh, I've had a few people mention to me that they're interested in going this year, so maybe we can, we can return to, to that trip and, and make that a reality. Hope we can. But he was saying, go ahead and be praying about it. And um, I remember years ago, it triggered a thought that years ago, uh, listening to Jeff Walling preach at Winterfest. And uh, Jeff Walling was making that example. I mean, I'm going way back to like 1995, 96, somewhere back in there. And, but it stuck with me. Because Walling is like, you know, he says, we have got the greatest gift known to the human world, the love of Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, he said, that should make us act different. And he said, he said, I know you're not going to be sitting at a red light and then look at the person next to you and roll down your window and say, hey, I've got Jesus. Do you have Jesus? He said, but, he said it probably should. That we should probably have that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of excitement. And I know we get involved in the day-to-day, don't we, church? 
That's why I pray that prayer that says, Lord, distract us from the stuff that distracts us. That, you know, clear our minds of those distractions so we can spend a little time focusing on you, digging into your word. Because we could get overly practical and say, well, that love of Jesus doesn't pay the bills. Well, doesn't it? We've acknowledged that our lives are no longer ours and everything we have is a gift from God. That, yes, even though there are rough patches in our lives, that there is so, so, so much good. Oh, it's hard to compete with that. And so, Paul is saying, listen, folks, we've come to that point in this letter where we don't need to just talk about theology. We don't need to talk about concepts about God. We need to actually do something about it. We need to put this into action. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Now I know that part right there sounds like a good dose of crazy talk, doesn't it? Those who are persecuting you, what are we told to do, church? We're told to bless them. Don't curse them, but bless them. What does this chapter start with? We're told, don't be like the world. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What's the pattern of this world? I had somebody just a couple weeks ago say, what's the pattern of this world? I say, well, think about our human nature. Think about what the world accepts. The world likes an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? The world says, hey, I like that Old Testament thinking. You punch at me and I'm going to punch at you back. The world struggles with New Testament thinking, doesn't it? That you practice grace and mercy. That you forgive the unforgivable. The world has a tough time with that. Well, we're told, don't be like the world. Just read that Christianity spread at a time when Christians were doing the opposite of what everybody else was doing. Why did Jesus upset the church people of his day, the church leaders specifically? Well, because he came along and his teaching ran counter to what they had been teaching for so long, to what had been acceptable for so long. That they say, well, you know, I haven't murdered anybody and I haven't committed adultery with anybody and I haven't, you know, and then Jesus comes along and says, no, it's not enough that you haven't killed somebody. If you've even thought about killing them, if you've even uttered a word of contempt in their direction, then that shows that you've got enough hatred in your heart that you might as well have. 
doesn't matter that you didn't hop into bed with somebody that you weren't supposed to. If you thought about it, if it was in your heart, if you desired that, then that's enough. You've got to deal with that. And so Jesus raises the standards for us. Helps us understand not just the law, but the spirit behind the law. He says, be people that love each other. Be people that actually show love. Be happy with those, verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone, dear friends. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And so, of all the ways that they could end this, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil. By doing what, church? Good. Yes. Overcome evil by doing good. And so I love that he says, you know, uh, don't think of yourself as better than other people. Be willing to associate with other people. Be willing to associate with people that the world would say, I wonder why they're hanging out with those people. You know, we've taught in this congregation that if we possess enough humility that we believe we can learn from anyone. And I believe that to be true. If we possess enough humility, we have the attitude that every person that comes in our life is someone that we can learn something from. Wisdom comes from the unlikeliest places and sometimes the unlikeliest of people. But let's remember, every person, no matter what we think of them, no matter what they've done to us in the past, Every person, church, is made in the image of God. And that's why Paul says, hey, you want to show love? Well, this is how you show love. That when your people are doing stuff against you, you don't curse them. You pray for them. You bless them. Maybe you show them an act of kindness. You take the high road. That when your enemy's hungry, you feed them. When they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. And that in the end, we become people that simply do not let ourselves be overcome by evil. That we overcome evil with good. That we say, you know what, I'm not going to take revenge. Quite simply, God tells me not to. Oh church, aren't there times we want to? Aren't there times we want to see people get their comeuppance? 
get what's coming to them? How many books, how many stories, how many movies, how many television show episodes end with the person that we spent the whole hour or two hours not liking? The whole length of the book not liking. And then in the end, somehow, they get what's coming to them, right? And boy, that makes for a great ending. In the Western world, we love that. Woohoo! They got what's coming to them. Yeah! And so, what does that do for us, though? As children of God. It just encourages us, right? To conform to the pattern of the world. And say, you know what? They did it to me. I'm going to do it back to them. But no. God says, you don't see things fully like I see things fully. So when there's revenge to be taken, you need to trust me to be the one who judges righteously. You need to trust me to dole out the punishment as it needs to be doled out. And we have to be people who say, if they deserve something, if they deserve to be punished, then that's God's department. It's not my department. We have to be people who say, that's above our pay grade, so to speak. And we have to be people who say, you know what? God calls me to love them. Boy, this ain't going to be easy. But I know I can do it because God is on my side. Isn't that true, church? That God is on our side? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? And that God is not going to call us to do something and then leave us hanging when it's time to do it. That we take those steps. That we step out in love and He is going to help us get there. And those are the people that we're called to be. As we work toward a close in our time together today, there was an 11-year-old orphan. His name was Mark. And he lived with his aunt. And she was a bitter, middle-aged woman who was frankly annoyed with the burden of having to take care of her sister's son. And so she often reminded Mark in a not-so-loving way, well, boy, if it wasn't for me, you know, you wouldn't have anything. And so she would constantly hang that over his head. And let's just remember, church, if we're hanging stuff over people's head, that's not love. And so Mark didn't have the best home life, needless to say. And so to to avoid going home as early in the afternoon, young Mark would stay after school. And he never asked his teacher for permission, but he would just stay after. And then he would slowly go around the room and he would push the chairs up to the desk and, you know, he would, uh, you know, wipe things off of the whiteboard as needed be and, and he would do some things to help out. And so the teacher noticed it, obviously. And uh, he wouldn't say a lot. But over time, they would start, they started talking to one another. Mark didn't talk about his aunt, but he talked about his mother. He was certainly old enough to have had a bond and a relationship with her.
And so then it came Christmas time. And so Mark wanted to give uh, his teacher something. And so she opened up this box. And, uh, and she looks inside and she doesn't see anything. It was, it was a nicely wrapped box. But there was nothing in it. And so she kind of, with, with a bit of trepidation, she says, uh, well, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful gift, Mark, but is, is there something in it? And he said, oh, you can't see it, and you can't touch it or taste it or feel it. But Mother always said it makes you feel good all the time, warm on cold nights and safe when you're all alone. The teacher gazes into the empty box and says, Mark, what is it? What is it that'll make me feel so good? It's love, he whispered. It's love. And you don't feel it unless you give it away. It's love, church. And we won't fully understand it. We won't fully appreciate it unless we give it away. Unless we find ways to give it to others. All others. Even the ones that don't give it to us. Especially to the ones that don't give it to us. And that, church, is how we contend for the faith. That's how we become contenders and not pretenders. People that just show up at the right time, on the right day. Because God calls us to be more than people who have good attendance. He calls us to go outside of these walls and to love people. Whether it's random acts of kindness or whether it's very intentional, well-thought-out acts of love to people who need it most. That's how we avoid conforming to the pattern of this world. Let Romans 12.2 have the final word. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's our end of the lesson, church. How do we respond? If we have revival in our faith, if we have revival in our hearts, if we've been inspired in recent weeks to spend more time reading God's Word, to spend more time praying, availing ourselves to the throne of grace, if we're people who are attuned to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we're going to be people who show love to others, all others. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, then we give you the opportunity to accept God's love so that you can begin giving it away. 
the waters of baptism are available today. And if you're with us this morning and you have something weighing on you that you would like us to pray with you about, then we're here to receive you for that reason as well. The invitation is extended as we stand and sing together.